the Lord's been speaking to me about purity and power. Um, and I believe that the church is in an incredible era. Um, we have stepped into something, not just as 24-7 church, but as the church globally. Uh, and I believe that we have come into the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. If you don't know that, you need to open your eyes because it's happening all across the earth. Hundreds of thousands and millions of people are getting saved and coming to know Jesus. And the underground church is exploding. It's happening. And uh, so the Lord's been speaking to me and he's been showing me that actually the way we do church is going to change because we're going to stop doing church and we're going to start being the church. Uh, and so basically what that looks like is I think this kind of setup will eventually change where we'll realize that um, you are not here to just get something from me or the musicians or anyone else, but you're here to give something. And that your relationship with Jesus actually encourages me, blesses me, and that there's an expression of God inside of every single one of you that the body needs. So I am not here today to entertain you. I'm certainly not here to motivate you, get you, you know, super pumped for the, the week ahead. I'm here to bring truth that should equip you to go and actually change the world in your sphere of influence, right? So I'm, I'm really, like, that's why I said, if you need to go, you can go. That's all good. But we're going to actually talk about something so incredible that if we as the church grab a hold of this and become it, we're going to walk in power like we've never known before. How many people want to walk in power? I want to walk in power. I have watched thumbs grow out of hands and spines straighten up in India, and we've seen amazing things. And those were just little, little glimpses of moments with God, but he's actually called us to live 24-7, 365 in the glory, in the power of the Holy Spirit, where everywhere we go, we expect miracles. And I'm learning that God's imparting something to the church right now. It is a confident expectation for God to move. It's just a confidence. I just, I assume, it's like Jen going into the hospital. I assume God's going to move. I just, I'm, I expect him to. And that's a different approach. But the Lord began to speak to me about purity. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. You guys know the scripture. I love the Amplified because it just adds a couple little words that help me understand what's actually going on. It says, blessed, which means anticipating God's presence and spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, you can read that scripture, write it out on a piece of paper and stick it on your fridge, or you can actually sit on that and say, oh my goodness, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God. I don't know about you. I want to see God every day of my life, every moment. I want to experience him. I want to see him more and more and more and more and more because there's never too much to see. He's just incredible. But blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I was reading this and I thought, okay, wow, Lord. So you really are about purity. And then he took me to Hebrews. You can jump to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19, therefore, believers, since we have confidence and full freedom to enter the holy place by means of the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way, which he initiated and opened for us through the veil, was talking about the holy of holies, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great and wonderful priest who rules over the house of God, let us approach God with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay. Purity is not abstinence. 
to abstain from something means to restrain yourself from doing or enjoying something. But how many of you know that you can restrain yourself from doing or enjoying something and still let the thought produce sin in your head, right? It can still corrupt your mindset. It can still corrupt the way that you see things, even if you didn't actually do the thing, but the thought actually pollutes your mindset, right? So if purity is an abstinence, how do we get it? Because I don't think you can actually achieve purity. See, you can, you can do all the things that you seem to feel like are the right things to do and still miss the mark. Because who gets to choose what's good? Only God. And so it's, a, it's amazing, and I've said this before, we've got to be so careful that we don't take failures and decide and rank them in a certain way which we think is the ones that actually separate us from God and which one is worse than the other. We don't get to choose that stuff. Same way we don't really get to choose what's good. God is good. And so... What is purity? When I looked up the word purity, it means freedom from adulteration or contamination. That's what purity means. So basically to be free from being contaminated. And uh, the Lord's been speaking to me about the way of righteousness. And I realized that I think a lot of Christians never understood this. When you got saved and you gave your life to Jesus, something should have changed inside of you where the way that you live your life is different. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a new reason for doing things. There is a new reason to wake up. There's a new reason to go to work. There's a new reason to love your wife. There's a new reason for everything that you do because there's a new way, and it's the way of righteousness. Righteousness was never something that we could achieve. It was never something that we could earn. It was something that God gave to us. Everyone in this room, I think, knows that. Righteousness was a gift from God. It's His righteousness. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. You receive it. The way of righteousness means to actually wear what you've been given. It means to actually understand that the righteousness of God has been given to you, not just so that you can feel good about yourself, but that you can actually become it. Purity is righteousness outworked. Okay. To be righteous means to be right with God. God pays the ultimate sacrifice. He covers you in the blood. Inside and out, you're brand spanking new. You're incredible. You're blameless. You're perfect. You're above reproach. He's in love with you. Every time he looks at you, even in your deepest, darkest moments, he sees himself. That's what he paid for. When you begin to realize that the extravagance of God is that actually there is nothing that can take away what he has given to you, then suddenly righteousness becomes real because you say, Lord, actually, in my greatest failures, I can still come before you with boldness and actually be transformed through beholding you. Okay, so this is what righteousness is. Purity is staying free. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why I'm sharing this is because I believe that the church will walk in power when she walks in purity. And I'm not talking about just sexual immorality. I'm talking about everything else that wants to contaminate our clean, good conscience that's been given to us that actually hinders us from hearing it, it affects the way that we believe, it affects the way that we trust, and it stops us from walking in power, okay? So God gives us a pure heart. It says here, I mean, if you read the, uh, earlier on in chapter 10, it literally talks about how God, he says, and their, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more, no longer holding their sins against them. Now where there is forgiveness and complete cancellation of the penalty of these things, there is no longer any offering to be made for sin. This mic is booming a little bit, can you? Yeah. 
So you see here that God seems to take the emphasis off of sin. He's really not interested in going after your sins. He died for that. He, he covered your sin. We take our sin and we put it between us and God, and we make it a big deal. And God's saying, can you get your junk out of my face? I died for you. I actually want to be face to face with you. I'm in love with you. Why are you picking up the turd and putting it in my face? I don't want to see that. I removed that. I'm in love with you. God's about covenant and he's about relationship. So purity has nothing to do with me trying to stop myself from doing something. Purity has to do with me understanding what's been given to me and allowing that to be my default decision. So everything that I do from there, that affects the way that I make my choices. See, if you don't believe that you are righteous with God, you probably won't make righteous decisions. Every day you're faced with decisions. Where you make that decision from, that's very, very important. See, if you think that you can still disappoint God, then when you make your decisions, there's, that's going to influence it. And if purity is freedom from contamination, then how do we stay in freedom? So here it says in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us approach God with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance of faith. Let's stop there. Unqualified assurance of faith. What he's saying is it's an assurance that faith brings that you didn't achieve. So there is a guarantee in your heart because faith means to trust, rely, depend, and have confidence in his ability and not your own. That's what faith is. It's a complete trust, a complete reliance, a complete dependency, and a complete confidence in God's ability and not your own. So there's this guarantee that God's given to us that comes from that kind of faith that you didn't earn or achieve. You didn't have to qualify to get that. He gave it to you. So God gave you a pure heart, sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus, the next part of the, of the verse, having had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Your state of being and your reality in the finished work of the cross is that you have a clean conscience because it's been washed by the blood of Jesus. But not only that, but your actual body has been washed with the pure water of heaven. That is who you are. It will never change. That's what God's given to you, okay? But then in 2 Timothy 2.24, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, handle people with gentleness so that they may actually go before God and God would grant them repentance. Interesting. God would grant them repentance. In fact, let's go there so I can explain it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's go from verse 25. He must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. So here's the thing. I was going, okay, Lord, you say that you've given me a clean conscience and a pure heart and then you're telling Timothy that he needs to keep a good conscience. And then you're saying, uh, it's incredible here, you're saying that we must handle people with gentleness because they go before the Lord with the hope that God would grant them repentance. So he gives you the gift of repentance. Amazing. So that you would actually come to your senses, realize who you are, be led into the knowledge of truth, and escape the trap of the devil. 
So I started to think about this, and I said, okay, Lord, when we seem to fall, or when we think we've you know, made a mistake, or we, we've come out of our identity, our response is, number one, to come before Jesus. And I realized that even repentance comes from the Father. It, that messed me up, because I was going, Lord, you know what? The truth is this. How many people of you know it's really hard to just change your thinking? Change the way that you think. It's really difficult to just change the way that you think. You know, we got to have 21 days to form a habit or whatever. We have come up with all these things because we know it's really hard to change a pattern in your head. That's why God actually says, I can grant you the gift of repentance. So you come before the Lord with the hope that God will grant you the gift of repentance. So when you seem to fall away or you slip from what God's called you to be, your response is just to come before God and say, Father, thank you. I'm not moving until you actually give me repentance so that I can choose to say yes to it. I can walk in it. I still get the choice to repent, but he gives it to me. In other words, he will do the work in my mind that I can't do. He will change my thinking patterns and my thoughts and the way that I think about myself. He'll do it. For what reasons? That I'll be led to the knowledge of truth, that I will come to my senses. What does that mean? I realize, whoa, 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 that's not who I am. Just because I did that doesn't make it my identity. Actually, God's given me a pure heart. It's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and my body has been washed by pure water from heaven. That's what coming to your senses means. And guess why? It says come to your senses so that you can escape the trap of the devil. So what's the trap of the devil? Actually, the trap of the devil is this. He knows that sin violates your conscience to get you to question or doubt the nature of God or the finished work that's been given to you. So this is the thing. God hates sin, right? Why does he hate sin? This is a good question to ask yourself. Because we go like, God hates sin. You know, hey, you shouldn't do those things. God hates sin. Well, so should we. We should also hate sin. But do you know why? Because sin is the one thing that we seem to still put between us and God when he removed it. He hates it because we still make it an obstacle. He has dealt with sin. He hates it now because we still give it emphasis. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm not making light of sin. I'm just saying now that you've received the righteousness that God's given to you, your response when you seem to maybe not walk in that is actually to come before God and say, Father, thank you that that's not who I am. Would you grant me repentance? Would you help me to change the way that I think so that I can come to my senses and realize that's not who I am? I'm actually a son, I'm a daughter, and when I do that, I escape the trap of the devil because I'm no longer doubting or questioning the nature of God, and I'm not doubting or questioning the finished work that he has given to me, and now I can actually walk forward. So freedom from contamination actually comes through covenant relationship with God. If you want to walk in purity, you need to start with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us approach God. That's where you need to start. Is this making sense? Lord, help me to communicate this. If we want to walk in power, we need to have authority. Right? If you want to walk in power, you need to understand your authority. You cannot have authority over something that you're not free from. You can't, it's impossible. Think about it. You can't have authority over something that you're not free from. So Jesus paid the ultimate price to make you free so that you don't have to be contaminated by the lies of the enemy. 
And you get the choice to walk in that. But when you walk in the finished work of the cross, the way of righteousness, that's when you have authority. See, what you give your attention to is what you give authority to. If you give your attention to your failures, you've given authority to that. You've given enough authority to your failures to actually hinder and restrict you from walking in communion with the Lord. When you give attention to the lies of the enemy, you give them authority to dictate the way that you live your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I've got this whole new perspective on purity and I've realized that it's a gift and it's an outworking of righteousness that comes through covenant relationship with the Lord. So what happens when I mess up and I go through a journey? Relationship with God brings me back into purity. So here's the here's freeing thing. You might have made the most horrific mistakes in your life. I have. Purity was a scary thing for me because I was raised under a very religious, my parents were never always as amazing as they are now. <laughs> and so we had some hectic perspectives around that and it was always about what you seem to be and are you walking in the right way and all these different things. And then when I messed up, and when I messed up, I messed up really hectically. Suddenly purity was like, I am done. I'll never get that. That's just over. It's like if God can give me the back row there, that'll be great. Cause, and then he began to teach me about purity. And I realized, man, just because you didn't get everything right and tick the boxes has nothing to do with purity. There's only one pure one, and his name is Jesus. Because my big scary sin that I thought was way bigger than your little white lie actually isn't. And God says it's all the same thing. It's all unbelief. What if actually all these expressions that we seem to rank as different sins are all just fruit of one sin, unbelief? If I don't believe who God is and who he's called me to be, then I do these things. They're just stupid things that I do. And the reality is we make more of them than God does. And God's not interested in what you were saved from. He's interested in what you're saved into. We seem to be interested by all the stuff that we came out of. God's like, why would we talk about that? That's rubbish. Let's talk about who you are in me. And so this morning I woke up and I felt the Lord say that today he wants to remove scales from your eyes. And I was reminded of Paul, how Paul has this encounter with the Lord. He sees him, he is bright light, and he hears the voice of Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Paul is terrified and he goes blind for three days. And then Ananias comes and basically God directs him to Paul, prays for him, and he gets healed and scales fall off of his eyes. And Paul's never the same again. And the Lord spoke to me, he said, there's, there's a lot of people here today that have had an encounter with Jesus and now they're roaming around blind, not knowing what to do with it. And they're going to have a moment and an encounter with Jesus where he heals their vision and the scales fall off and they begin to see actually the life that God's called them to live. And suddenly you'll never be the same again. You didn't do that. God gave it to you. He gave it to you. And so the bride is coming into a time now where we have to, like Courtney was singing earlier, take our eyes off of ourselves and put it on Jesus because you become what you behold. And so if we want to be more like Jesus, just start by looking at him. You know, I've realized like people go, what do you, when you say uh, gaze at Jesus, like what do you mean? You know, is, is, are you literally like looking into his face? And I was like, absolutely. But sometimes I don't see his face like physically right here in front of me. But what I do is I position my life towards him. The gaze of my life is after Jesus. My life is beholding him. I want to be like him. I want to know what he's like. When I spend time with him, I'm not after a specific expression. I just want to know him. Sometimes God comes into your room, reveal, reveals himself, and you have these wild encounters. Other times you just lie there on the floor and God's just, he just wants to be with you. 
It's amazing. This is what relationship with God looks like. We're coming back to, to purity. The Lord is just speaking to me and he said, man, we come up with so many excuses. So many excuses not to live the life that God's called us to live. Because it's, we've made this thing all about us and we know that we'll never achieve it and so we make that okay. You know, we go, there is no ways that I'll ever be able to stop this addiction. So you know what, God loves me in my mess and he knows and it's okay and thank the Lord that he died for me and his blood covers, it's gonna be okay. And now I'm just gonna kind of, you know, take it day by day and get through this thing. And when he comes, whew, thank the Lord, we get out of here, we go to heaven. A lot of people are living that way. You can go, of course, I'm, I'm making it really, I'm exaggerating here, but a lot of you sitting in this room live that way. It's just too hard. So I'll never be able to do it. I'll never be able to walk in that. Man, you don't understand. I've been through a lot. Life's hard. I work hard. Things are difficult. Things are tight. These are conversations that we have all the time. The problem is, the reason why we think that way is because we've put the emphasis on us when it's actually all about Jesus. I've watched a group of young people who all, by the way, have jobs, just in case anyone was wondering. People go, it's just because you're young and you've got the time and the energy and whatever. These people work hard. But they've had an encounter with Jesus where there is an energy that's not from here. It's a supernatural energy where they will work from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night and come to prayer, even if it's 15, 20 minutes late, but they walk in and they are there and they are in and they are laying their lives down and go, Jesus, we want more of you. That's what revival looks like. And what's beautiful is that's not just about young people. I, um, Matt and I had the privilege on, on Tuesday of meeting with the old my grannies. They're all my grannies. Um, we met with them. I can't say old. The mature woman of the church <laughs> on Tuesday morning. And uh, man, what a wild time. Matt and I walked out of there like, whoa, these guys are as intense as we are. They are as desperate and committed and devoted to Jesus. And I'm like, come on. And so I said to them, I had the conversation, I said, it seems to me that between 30 and 50, everybody seems to go numb. They get so caught up in life and there's just so many things going on and it just gets really hard. And, but you don't understand, Connor, I've got bills to pay and this and that and I'm in this much debt and all this stuff goes on. And I'm like, and, and what is, how does that stop you from being in love with Jesus? In fact, if you stay in love with Jesus, you'll find you don't have to get into all of that stuff. Oh, but Connor, you don't understand. You're young, you haven't experienced this stuff. Watch me. I'm serious. I'm serious. Please do. Because I have a confidence in Him. I know in myself I'll mess it up. But I have a confidence that God can keep me. And what's amazing is I'd encourage you, go and talk to the old grannies and let them actually tell you what matters most. Because it's incredible. They'll say, man, I've journeyed it all. I've seen it all. We've done all the stuff. It means nothing. This is what counts. Family, Jesus, church. They give you the stuff that actually matters. So I want to encourage you, if you're between the ages of 30 and 50, you need to shake yourself out of the slumber and actually say, man, God's called me to be radical. All right. So God is positioning and preparing the bride for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen. I will not get everybody in Joburg saved. Thank the Lord, because I did not want to carry that weight. But I'm telling you now, just this handful of people, this group, if we just caught the simplicity of the gospel and let it become a raging fire inside of us, everywhere that you go, people will get touched, people will get saved, people will get healed, they'll be loved. You'll see God move every day of your life. You were born for that. 
Like I said in the beginning, you're a full-time son or daughter of God, revivalist. You're called to bring heaven to earth. Everything else is part-time. And it doesn't have the same value. We've got to be careful what we prioritize because you will stand before Jesus, as will I. And it's not going to be about your sins and all that kind of thing. It's going to be, what did you do with me? Did you learn to love? What did love look like in your life? Did you make me the highest priority? Did we change the world together? I'm excited to stand before Jesus and say, whoa, that was a wild ride. That was amazing. I mean, last night I was going, this is nuts. 40 people on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock at night are in Hillbrow, like trying to love people and just share the gospel. I'm like, this is a good start. Let's turn it up. Let's turn up the heat. Let's get wild. I was sharing with our home group. Um, I said to the man, you, you want to be the kind of people that have such an intense love relationship with Jesus that you have that wild look in your eye? Like if you've seen Braveheart, it's my favorite movie of all time. Isn't it interesting that love moved a man to free a nation? And he's got this crazy look in his eye. Like you look at him and you just go like, whoa, he's going to do something crazy. And we as Christians are called to do that. We're supposed to be so in love, so moved by God. My greatest prayer is, Lord, would you move my heart for you the way your heart is moved for me? Because if I could be that radical and that intense, everywhere that I go, I've got that crazy look. Jesus is alive. Woo-hoo. Do you know, if we, if we understand who God is and we let God just be God, can you imagine what would happen? You walk into that coffee shop and you're just like, Lord, what do you want to do? Do you know, a couple of years ago, the whole staff in Mug and Bean Northgate got prayed for because we prayed for the one guy who had a thing on his wrist, problem with his wrist. He got healed and he called everyone. Next thing, we've got the staff of Mug and Bean together and we're all praying in Mug and Bean Northgate. Well, God can do crazy, wild things, man. People are getting healed and this is what God's called us to do. God's called us to live in this. Life is an adventure with the Lord. And purity is not this scary word that we're trying to achieve. Purity is what's been given to you. And my encouragement, what I'm trying to communicate today in a long and very interesting way. Um, I gave up being a good preacher a long time ago. I just want to be a good son. But what we've got to understand here is that the way of righteousness, it is a different way of living our lives. You have different values, different priorities. Everything changes when you live in righteousness. Because you begin to see clearly, the scales have fallen from your eyes. You're not blind anymore. You're not numb. You don't, you're not confused. You know he's coming back. I know what I'm living for. And I want to just share this with you. The devil is not stupid. He knows how to distract you, and he knows how to rob you of your time. He's not going to throw things at you that are not important, because you would easily say no to those things. He's going to throw things at you that seem like the right thing to do, and it takes you away from the God thing to do. It happens. I, I don't know about you. I'll just use a practical example. I know sometimes God speaks to me and says, you need to see that person. You need to prioritize it. You need to see them. They need help. And I'll go, okay, I need to make time. And suddenly all hell breaks loose and everybody is trying to see me at the same time and I'm, I can't find time to see this person. And it's just crazy. And you go like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. The devil knows. And it's always meetings that are like, I have to see that person. I have to do that. I have to do this. I have to go and do that errand. And, and you can't find time. Because the enemy knows he wants to rob us of our destinies in the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you with this. Time has changed. Not times, time. Time has changed. If you are sensitive to the spirit, you'll feel it. 
I don't know about you, but every person that I speak to is mentally busy, just insanely busy. They just have no time. Things are just so hectic. And I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. Everybody's busy. That's not coincidence. Suddenly it's harder to get commitment out of people. It's harder for people to devote themselves to something because, man, I'm just too busy. I've said yes to a million different things and I just can't find the time. And then you wonder why people are depressed and anxious and they have panic attacks and all this kind of thing. Do you know Bob Jones, he's a, a prophet who died a couple of years ago, but he prophesied something just before he died. He said, the judgment of God is coming in five different ways. And he says, uh, those that, that are saved won't face these things. But guess what he said they were? Depression, fear, anxiety, uh, panic attacks, and something else <laughs> with those things. Anyway, there were five of them. And he said, you know, it's time that the redeemed of the Lord actually stand up and say so. And that moved me because I thought, man, that's not for us. Depression, anxiety, fear, panic attacks, it's not who you are. It's not for you. You don't have to wear that. You just knock it off. Because you're not led by the way that you feel. You're, you're led by the Holy Spirit. Because those who are led by the Holy Spirit are sons of God. And this is an important thing because I think so many of us as Christians are professing this wild, crazy faith, but we actually live completely dictated to by our feelings and emotions. And so we live roller coaster lives up and down, up and down, up and down. And I think unbelievers look at that and go, man, they're just as confused and weird and messed up as we are. Or what's worse is they look at them and say, they're so messed up just like we are, yet they tell, they tell us that they're actually living this wild, crazy faith life. I'm like, it's actually time that what we profess and what we live line up and become the same thing. Not because we're trying to earn or achieve it, but because it's who we are. And when you receive something and believe it, you will become it. I always use this example. None of you walked in here and checked your seat before you sat on it. None of you. I didn't see anyone come here and look underneath, make sure the bolts are secure, put a little bit of weight on it, and then sit down. You just sat down because you believe that that chair is going to hold you up. Why do we not treat the gospel the same way? Why do we not just believe that God's given us his righteousness, that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter, and I'm called to walk in power? Purity is actually who I am. It's my inheritance in the kingdom. I am free from contamination. And so when the lies and stuff comes, when life tries to squeeze me, when things get hectic, or maybe I even slip up and make a mistake, I'm not going to make that who I am. I'm going to come before the Lord, allow him to grant me repentance. He's gonna give me the ability to change the way that I think so that I can come back into line with truth and understand that I'm called to live in righteousness. It was given to me, it's who I am. And I take a step forward and I never have to come back to that thing ever again. If you're struggling with addiction, you're not gonna get free from addiction through rehabilitation. You're gonna get free through reconciliation. See, rehabilitation tries to fix a behavior. Reconciliation is about relationship and covenant. And if you can fix relationship and covenant, you'll fix the behavior. I faced addictions and I tried rehabilitation in all its different forms and it never worked because I would get right for maybe a couple months and then stuff up again. The reality is when I realized that I can be reconciled with God, reconciled with my family, and I began to walk in that, my behavior changed. Because it really is just all about Jesus. It really, really, really is. And so what I'm sharing today is that purity is yours. God's given it to you. It's time that we walk in it. Because when we walk in purity and we understand who we are and we see clearly as a church and as a bride, we're gonna see God do amazing, amazing things, wild things. 
and uh, we've ne we have not ever seen what's about to happen. And uh, my, what I was feeling this morning in the worship is such a longing in the heart of God for you guys. Like, almost like you were saying, don't miss it. See, I don't know, I don't know who misrepresented God to you, but you need to put that behind you. And you need to actually seek him for who he is and just understand that he is amazing. He's an incredible dad, an amazing father, an incredible king, and he's an amazing lover. He loves our hearts with such an intense desire. He is so moved by us. And if you'll live from that place, you will be radical. And please, 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 let's not become a sermon-proof people where we get really good at listening to sermons, but nothing really changes in our hearts. Let's actually go and sit in the Word. Because a preacher's not gonna, you know, I heard this quote by Ian Bounds. He said, if you're touched by my preach, I can touch you for an hour. But if you're touched by my life, I'll touch you for a lifetime. And so this is it, man. I'm, I'm sharing this today not to impress you. I really am not here to impress you. I just wanna provoke something in your head that actually pushes you to believe that actually invites you into a place with Jesus where you seek him for yourself and you get in the word and you find out what he says about you and who he says that you are and you begin to walk in that. It's been given to you. And my prayer is that you would see the dream of God because if you see the dream of God, there is nothing else worth living for. In the words of Damien, it will ruin you for anything else. I had so much more I wanted to talk about purity and unpack all of that, but I think you get the point. And the reality is, oh man, it's just time to be who God's called us to be. You don't have to violate your clean conscience that was given to you. Because when you have a clean conscience, you have authority because you're free. And it's a good question to ask yourself, Lord, what, what am I allowing to contaminate? What am I allowing to violate my clean conscience before the Lord? And let's get rid of those things. We get rid of them by bringing them to the Lord. Let us approach God. Start there. Cool. You guys okay? Awesome. Simple word, but just want to encourage you. Can you stand? You can leave it there, Gramps. I'm going to do that. So we're just going to sing this song um, one more time. Um, God's into responses. Like, he's into your yes. He loves your yes. And yes looks like something. It really does. Um, so whatever that looks like for you, whether it's just raising your hands or coming out of your seats or the front is a nice place to just soak and enjoy Jesus, there's an invitation for you to allow Holy Spirit to reveal to you who you are. And you will never be the same. And if you feel like you really have had scales or you've been in a season like blindness, like let the Lord touch you and let those scales fall off so you can see the life that he's called you to live. And uh, for those of you who don't know, we don't do a whole, you know, offering thing. And, but the offering baskets are here. And if you haven't already in the worship and you want to now during the song, you're welcome to come and, and bring your offering. Um, if you need the banking details, it's on the website as well. Um, God's so big. So, yeah, let's go after a response. Can you lift your hands for a second? Father, I just thank you that you are such an amazing God, such a good God, Lord. 
I thank you for what you're doing this morning in our hearts. And Lord, often we don't need ministry, we need truth. Truth sets us free to minister. And so I thank you, Jesus, that your truth would just come today and just open up eyes, remove the scales. People that have been in blind, blindness and haven't been able to see, had no vision. Thank you, God, that today all of that changes. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would realize that their life matters. For something way bigger than just themselves or just this time on the earth, but that it's, it's, a, it's an eternity thing. Father, I pray you'd open our eyes to see the people in front of us every day, at work, in the shopping malls, on the streets, everywhere that we go, even within our own homes, our own family. Would you open our eyes to love them the way that you love them? Thank you for your righteousness that you gave to us. Thank you for purity that you gave to us. Lord, I thank you that we walk in purity by just starting where you finished. The finished work of the cross is where we start. And so I thank you, Lord. Let that become a reality to every person. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name.